I grew up in northeast Ohio, and about 45 minutes away from us was a large Amish population that we always called Amish country. And my grandparents used to love taking trips to Amish country. And it was one summer day, and we got up in the morning, and my mom informed us that we were going to be going to Amish country with my grandparents which I was not excited about. Now, don't get me wrong. I liked hanging out with my grandparents, loved my grandparents. They were fine. But a trip to Amish country meant that on one of the days that I was out of the prison that I called school, I had to go in the back of a car, ride next to my grandmother, who was sitting in between my sister and I, all three of us, in the back seat of the car, while my mom, who apparently got motion sick, rode up front next to her dad, my grandmother grandfather who would drive the car at really low rates of speed and there was just something about my grandparents as well that they loved to be hot which meant limited air conditioning which meant I would be hot we would be going slow and I would be in close proximity to my sister all things that I weren't really excited about on a trip to Amish country and I said do I have to go and my mom said yes you have to go I said, wonderful. That's just fantastic. Kids today have no idea how spoiled they are with all the technology that's available at their fingertips. They can just put a tap, they can just put a movie on the tablet, full entertainment systems in cars and SUVs now. I had a little Game Boy that I went and grabbed a mom and said, Oh no, you're not gonna bring that Game Boy. You have to talk to everybody. Wonderful. So there I was riding in the back seat of this car down to Amish country so we could go watch him make cheese and watch him sharpen my grandparents' knives. It's boring as it sounds. And we were, we were all there in the car, and we made it to our first stop. And my mom said, Brian, stay in the car for a minute. And I was in the car, and my mom stayed in the car, and everybody else got out of the car. And she said, you have to do this, so you might as well have a good attitude about it. I said, all right. And so we did. We went and we watched him make cheese and we watched him sharpen knives. And then we went to a, a farm-to-table restaurant, which sounds really exciting until you get out of the car and all you smell is manure because the farm is right there, right next to where you're going to be eating. And that was my day. Now, in life, we encounter experiences and we encounter circumstances where we have to do things. We have to do things. We don't really get a say. It's something that we have to do. And what we're going to wrestle through today is how we respond in those circumstances, how we respond as individuals when we face things that we have to do. And yet, we're going to take it to even a deeper level. Because that's just part of being a human. That's, that's a universal experience that all of us encounter. There are all things that we encounter that we have to do. We don't get a say. And the question is, how do we respond in those instances where there's something we have to do? But the level we're going to take it to, which is even deeper today, is for those of us who are followers of God, those of us who have a personal relationship with Jesus, how do we respond and what do we do in situations in life and in circumstances where God calls us to do things that we don't want to do? How do we respond when God calls us to situations and scenarios to circumstances that we don't want any part of? But God is calling us to those situations and those circumstances and those scenarios. 
How do we react and how do we respond? And that's what we're going to wrestle with today as we continue our look at the New Testament book of Acts. So if you have your phones or your tablets with you, I would encourage you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download in whatever app store you utilize right on your device. And once it's installed on your device, there are a number of great features within the Bible app. A feature we use every week is called events. And you can either enable your locations or type in Lakeside Community Church Algoma and we'll pop up and you can follow along with us there right on your tablet, right on your device. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to be again in the book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. And then right after the Gospels is the book of Acts. We've been walking through the book of Acts and we continue that today in Acts chapter 18. If you're joining us via the stream this morning, thanks so much for joining us. My name is Brian and I'm part of the team here at Lakeside and the verses will be available for you on the screen below as we continue to see the early church spread as the hope of Jesus is spread across the regions and as the message of Christ continues to spread, so does the hope that people are discovering when they discover a personal relationship with God. And it's impacting their lives and it's changing a number of things about society. And that's what we've seen unfold so far through our look at the book of Acts. And that's what we're going to continue to see unfold. And so we dive in this morning at Acts chapter 18. And we're going to read the first four verses at this time where we read these words in Acts 18 starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So right off the bat, right here in these first four verses of Acts 18, the scene is set for us. We're introduced to Paul. Paul is now leaving Athens, and as was his MO, he's gone from city to city and region to region, and he's explaining to people the hope of Jesus that he found in his own life. Paul at one point was so, so opposed to the cause of Christ that he actively, he actively would persecute people who were followers of Jesus. And he hated what the message of Christ was, was promoting. He hated the hope of Jesus. And so he would persecute other people. And he did this from city to city and region to region until he himself discovered the hope of Jesus. And then his life radically changed. And then he went from opposing people that followed Jesus to telling people about the hope of Jesus. And now he is experiencing persecution everywhere that he goes and proclaims the message of Jesus. And so he's now left Athens and he arrives to Corinth. And here he's introduced to a couple people who are Jewish, Aquila and Priscilla, who've just been kicked out of their hometown. And the reason they've been kicked out of their hometown is as the message of Jesus spreads, it's upending things and it's causing tension. It's causing tension between family members. It's causing tension in cities. It's causing all kinds of tension as people begin to follow Jesus. So much so that Claudius commands all the Jews to leave Rome. He just doesn't want to deal with it. 
He doesn't want to deal with the political ramifications of cities in turmoil. He doesn't want to deal with the political ramifications of all kinds of tension. And so he just says, Jews, get out. And so Aquila and Priscilla are, are refugees. They're kicked out of where they live because of their heritage, because of their nationality. And they are thrown out of Rome. And here we see that Paul connects with Aquila and Priscilla. And what do they connect around? They connect around a common interest. That's what they connect around. Priscilla and Aquila are tent makers. Paul has made tents. And so they connect together around this fact that common skills bring about community. Common interests bring about community. It's just a universal truth. If, if you're feeling kind of isolated and you're feeling kind of lonely right now, the world's gotten incredibly segregated based on interest and based on worldview recently, and there are so many things about that that are discouraging and damaging. But one of the positives is it's now easier than ever before to find your tribe. It's now easier than ever before to find people who have the same interests and the same likes and the same compatibilities as you. And it's easier than ever to connect with them. And so if you're feeling kind of lonely and you're feeling kind of isolated and you're like, I'm not, I'm not really sure where my people are, I'm not really sure where I fit in, then find people who are passionate and excited about the same thing that you're passionate and excited about. Just find those people. Common interests bring about community. On Thursday night, I was with 80,000 people that have a common interest, and that common interest is football. And we watched the Packers just get stomped by the Lions. And normally I would say, hey, I was around 80,000 Packer fans, but give it up for the Lions. They represented, and there was so much blue in that stadium on Thursday night. And what united 80,000 people? The game of football. The game of football does. If you find yourself isolated and lonely and not really sure where you fit, where your people are, just think about what your interests are and connect with other people based on those interests. We see it here that Paul is a tent maker, Priscilla and Aquila, they're tent makers, and now there's community. And while he's there, he continues to do ministry. He continues to do ministry, he's living in community, and he continues to go to the synagogue, and he continues to tell people about the hope of Jesus that he himself has encountered. He tells people about the difference that Jesus has made in his life. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And here we see Paul at kind of his breaking point. We've seen it over and over and over again. He proclaims the hope of Jesus. He experiences opposition. He proclaims the hope of Jesus. He experiences opposition. The opposition, by the way, wasn't just arguing with him. They've tried to murder him. They've beaten him. They've had him arrested. They've tried him. This takes a toll. This takes a toll on anyone. And it's taken a toll on Paul. And he just throws up his hands and he says, forget it. 
I'm trying to tell you about the hope that you can experience through a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't want to listen to me, if you don't want to hear about it, your blood is on your own heads. I'm done with you. I'm over. I'm finished. He reaches that point where he's undoubtedly exhausted and he's frustrated and he's just had enough. And he says, I'm done. I quit. It's now on you, and you can deal with the consequences. It's on you. Your blood be on your own heads. I'm no longer going to try to point out the hope of Jesus to you. I'm going to a different audience. This is his breaking point. He's done. He's decided, I have had enough. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So do you see what's going on? Paul snaps. He says, I'm done. I've had it. You don't I'm no longer spending my time and my energy and my efforts on you. I'm no longer going to try to go out of my way to tell you about the hope of Jesus. Not only go out of my way, I'm no longer going to go to you and tell you about the hope of Jesus. I'm going to an entirely different audience. And that's exactly what we see in the next verse, in verse 7. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And then we're told his house is next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, in verse 8, the ruler of the synagogue believes in the Lord. Paul says, Jews, I'm done with you. And two verses later, says, hey, God says, hey, Paul, here's a Jew that I'm going to bring into your path who's going to make the decision to follow after Jesus. Paul says, I'm done. God says, hey, Paul, here's Crispus. And maybe you've been there. For you have done what God has called you to do. And it has been infuriating. It's been frustrating. The results that you thought you'd see They're just not there. And the challenges that you face, you look at it and you say, God, what are you doing? For an all-powerful, supernatural, sovereign God who can control everything, how about a little favor? How about you just do something in this scenario and in this situation and work this one out a little easier. How about you bless me in just a little bit more of a way here? How about you just come and you do something here? You know you're doing what God's called you to do. But it's frustrating. And the don't even get me started about the people. The people that you have to deal with because of what God has called you to do, they're infuriating. And you reach that point where you just want to say, forget it. I'm done. I've done what I can do. I've given all of this. 
I'm frustrated and I'm tired and I'm just exhausted. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're at that place in life. You might resent, you might want to reject what God has called you to. You just want to be like, I'm done. But the reality is this. If it's God's will for your life, you might be done. But if he's not done with you, you better figure out a way to enjoy the ride. Because Paul says, I'm done. And two verses later, God says, here's Christmas. You're not. You're not done. And the Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul's exhausted and he's tired and he's at his breaking point. And he says, I want to be done. And notice what God does. God supernaturally shows up in a vision. And he reassures Paul. He reassures him. And he says, you don't need to be afraid, but continue to do what I have called you to do. For I am with you. And not only that, notice what else God does. He says, hey, Paul, I've put you in this city. That's not an accident. And you know what else is in this city? A number of people who also love and follow after me. We can't overemphasize the importance of community. That here, when Paul finds himself exhausted and at his breaking point, God shows up and he reassures him and he says, Hey, I'm with you, but not only am I with you, I have put you in this place where you can be surrounded and you can live life with other people that follow after me. Every single one of us needs connection. Every single one of us needs community. It's why this week we opened up registrations for supper clubs. And they're available now on our website at lakeside-church.com. And if you have not registered to be part of a supper club, you're just missing out. Because what supper clubs are is they meet every other week. And it's a number of people that come around a table in different communities all across our region. And they live life together. They talk about what's going on in their life. It's a reminder that you can be, in, that there's encouragement out there. It's a reminder that you aren't isolated and you don't have to be alone. And if you find yourself right now in a situation where you're like, I don't know who my people are, or you find yourself in a situation right now where you're exhausted and you're tired and you reject and you resent what God has called you to do, question you need to answer is, are other people in my life? If you haven't signed up, you need to. Because every single one of us needs community. 
They meet five or six times this fall. And every other week, it's a reminder that you aren't alone. That you matter to God and you matter to people. You can sign up for those on our website at lakeside-church.com. As Paul's exhausted and he's at his breaking point, God reassures him in who he is and the fact that there are others. What happens? Paul stays for a year and a half and he continues to do ministry. He's re-energized as a result of this. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made the united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. So after a year and a half of Paul doing ministry and being in community, of, of resting and being filled, what happens? Now there's another accusation. The Jews all of a sudden want to stir up trouble again. And so they essentially drag Paul to court. And he's standing before the judge. And before he can even begin his defense, the judge starts to weigh in. And the judge is ready to render his verdict before Paul could even defend himself. And Gallio went on, but since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Gallio dismisses the case. And not only that, but the Greeks, they now seize the new leader of the synagogue and they beat him right in front of the court. And Gallio just ignores it. I mean, this is fascinating. Fascinating what's just transpired and what's just occurred. And after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincre, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God, if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. So what happens is fascinating. His accusers are beaten. And after this, Paul stays for a while. I don't know what that says about Paul. Maybe there's a little streak in him. It's like, hey, I enjoyed watching my accusers get beaten up. I don't know. I don't know. But he stays for a while. And then Luke includes this detail for us. Luke was the author of Acts through the, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He wrote the book of Acts. And he was a physician. But Luke offers this detail for us that on the surface seems like, well, why is that a big deal? He tells us, after all this, Paul got a haircut. You're like, all right, that's great. You know, maybe Luke, he was a doctor, so he was used to looking at people's bodies, and he noticed a difference, a strange detail, but, but okay. But, but no, Luke tells us that the reason for the haircut was because he had made a vow. Now, we don't have 
time to look at it, but we have to understand exactly what's going on here. And the vow that Paul would have taken was the Nazarite vow. And it's spelled out for us in Numbers chapter 6. And again, we don't have time to go to Numbers chapter 6 this morning and to dive into all the different details of the Nazarite vow, but that's the vow that Paul took. And the Nazarite vow was normally usually around a month. It was an intense time of spiritual focus. Sometimes the Nazarite vow would last a lot longer. In in Samson's life, for instance, his entire life was to be lived under a Nazarite vow. And when you look at the wreck that was Samson's life, there were so many elements of his life that didn't live up to the vow that that was taken that is spelled out for us in Numbers chapter 6, well before Delilah. But that is ultimately the problem of, of Samson. But it was the same vow. Now, in Samson's case, it was for his life. In many cases, it was a time, usually a month, an intense time of spiritual focus. It called for for completely abstaining from drinking alcohol, abstaining from cutting your hair. You couldn't at all be exposed to death of any kind. There was a special offering that took place. And at the end of the vow... The person who made the vow would shave their head as as a symbol for the vow's completion, and they would take that hair to the temple. So this is what's going on. This is why Luke tells us that Paul cut his hair. And the reason I want to camp out on this is because notice what happened. When Paul gets to the point where he's exhausted and he's frustrated and he says, that's it, I'm done with you. And God says, oh no, you're not. How does Paul respond to that frustration? To that exhaustion? By leaning into his relationship with God. You might find yourself right now in a season where you are just absolutely exhausted. You're doing what you know God has called you to do. You know you're where God has called you to be, but the results just aren't there. And you're frustrated. And you're exhausted. And you're wanting to quit. And you might even resent where God has placed you. You might even hate the fact that God has placed you here in the situations and the circumstances where He has placed you. And you just want to be done. You just want to quit. But you know in your heart, God has called me to be here. And what I would challenge you is to use this month of October as an intense time of spiritual focus in your life. To really immerse yourself in Scripture. Even more so than you normally would to spend increased amounts of time in prayer. To make it a point to really live in community. These are the things that God offered to Paul when he was exhausted. And these are the things that that Paul did. And if you find yourself in a situation right now, if you find yourself in circumstances where you're just exhausted and you want to quit, you want to give up, and you want to stop, don't quit, don't stop, don't give up. 
Because you might be done with what God's called you to do, but if God isn't done with you, then you're not going to be done. And so you better find a way to enjoy going along for the journey. And I would really encourage you to use this month of October as that. I'm not saying you have to make the Nazarite vow and you have to shave your head at month's end, but I am saying make it an intense time where you really lean into your relationship with God, more so than normally. And you are just committed to immersing yourself in Scripture. You are really committed to, to being just, just clothed in prayer. You're really committed to living in community and being encouraged by people and encouraging other people. We see renewal in ministry. And now they, they ask Paul, they ask Paul to, to stay longer, but he doesn't because he's about to go to Ephesus. Verses 22 and 23 say this, When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, if you've been joining us or if you've watched the, the look at Acts that we've been doing online, you know a few weeks ago we went through Acts 14 and Acts 15, and here we see that Paul goes back to Antioch. You have the same Antioch as in Acts 14 Antioch, as in the place where they tried to murder Paul. They picked up stones and they threw them at him, and they hit him to the point they thought he was dead. And right on the heels of that in Acts chapter 15, we saw that the church was strengthened and the church grew in Antioch. And now here we are years later. And Paul is he's out on the journey. Just earlier in this chapter said, I want to be done and I want to quit. He's going back to the very place that years before they tried to kill him. Being exhausted and being frustrated doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're a bad follower of Jesus. It just means you're human. And there are going to come seasons, there are going to come times in your life where God has called you to do something, and for whatever reason, it's frustrating and exhausting. And the challenge for us in those moments, is not to beat ourselves up and not to say, oh, I must be a bad follower of Jesus, and it's not to quit. But it's to recognize that we're all human. We're all capable of being exhausted. And when that sets in, it's absolutely essential for us to put a renewed emphasis on our spiritual health, that we connect with God, in an intentional way. And one of the things that God utilizes is others. That we live in community. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Apollos shows up. 
and he's passionate about God and correcting what he's proclaiming. But he doesn't have the full picture. Remember, Acts is a transitory time. And so the, the message of Jesus is being spread. It's being spread that Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, that Jesus is that he came and he was the sacrifice for our sin. He is the source of our salvation. He died on the cross. He rose again three days later. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. But now that message is beginning to spread. And this is a transitory time where people who are very familiar with the Old Testament still maybe hadn't heard about all that Christ had accomplished and all that he had completed. And we find ourselves in a situation here with Apollos that he needs a more complete picture. He began to, verse 26 says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So Apollos is introduced, and he's on the scene, and he's proclaiming Jesus to people. But Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside and give him a more complete picture about his faith. Which leads us to the question, that we have to answer is when was Apollos saved? When did Apollos become a Christian? And the answer is, we don't know. But God does. And why does this matter so much? Because for some people, they can point to the moment, the very moment that God transformed their lives. They, you know, we've, we've all heard the, the miraculous stories that somebody had a gun to their head and on October 27th at 11.43 p.m., just as they were getting ready to pull the trigger, God supernaturally got a hold of their heart and they gave their life to Christ and they've never looked back. And we say, praise God for those conversions. Praise God for how he works in those situations and in those circumstances. And yet for a lot of people, following after Jesus is a process. And you don't have a moment that you can point to. What you have is you know in your heart that you long to follow after Jesus. And you've come to the place where you recognize that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for your sins, and three days later rose again. You know that, and you believe it, and you live your life in pursuit of him, but you wrestle with this idea that you don't have a moment or a day that you can point to. And what I would say is you might not know the moment, and you might not know the day, but God knows the time. If you've allowed yourself to wrestle with that and you've wondered, am I, really, am I really a follower of God? Am I really a Christian? Because I don't have the moment. The answer is absolutely. Which means God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it isn't always going to be easy. 
And it's not always going to be fun. And there are going to be times that God calls you to do things that you frankly don't want to do. But He's called you to it. And sometimes you're going to be exhausted. And sometimes you're going to be frustrated. And that doesn't mean you're a bad person. And it doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It just means you're human. And when those times come, lean into your relationship with Jesus. When you find yourself getting frustrated, that is the time for an in an increased interest, an increased focus on your part, to really immerse yourself in Scripture, to make sure that everything you're doing is covered in prayer, that you are living in community. Because if God's called you to it, and it's His will, whether you want to or not, He's going to make it happen. So we might as well enjoy going along for the ride. God, I pray that we would be people. That as we follow you, be excited to do so. I pray for the person right now that's exhausted and frustrated and God honestly hates where you have positioned them. pray that they would find encouragement in you. God, I pray that you would re-energize them in the same way you did Paul. I pray that they would be disciplined over the course of this month to have an increased spiritual focus, to immerse themselves in your word, to spend time in prayer, to really make sure that community is a priority. And I pray they wouldn't beat themselves up. Pray they wouldn't think they're a horrible person or a horrible follower of yours because they find themselves in this season of disappointment and exhaustion. I pray, God, you'd comfort them. And I pray we collectively would serve you in a powerful way. And you would use that across this region to proclaim the hope of Jesus. God, we know you have a plan, and we just ask that we would be faithful to serving you as you unfold that plan. And we would lift high the name of your son, Jesus we would proclaim the hope that is found in him. And you would bless this church as we do. For your glory, in your son Jesus' name we pray.